You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. This is Jesse, and in the future, when our Blinkatron weakens the fabric of space and time, we won't differentiate between Grawlick's days or Grawlick's nights because we will have killed the stars and bees. This is Melanie, and in the future, we'll have to train our robots to detect lies that other robots have been trained to use on us to sell products. This is Randy, and in the future, when we kill the stars, we will come back and replace the stars and the bees with tiny lying robots. Welcome to the Growlix Podcast, episode number 98. Wow. I even dropped my, like, Holy moly. the mystery thing. It's just 98. Finally. Yeah. We're, we're That's, you know, most people, most people, most podcasters hit 98 in like, like two years. We took our sweet time. We took our we time. We sure did. It. We do. <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about this episode, guys? We're talking about the greatest comic ever written. And the poll list. Speaking of taking a while to get there, it did take us a long time to get to Sandman. Yeah, it did. Spoilers. Poll list. Jesse, what? Oh, man. (laughs) What are you talking about, poll list? (laughs) (laughs) I set myself up. Oh, the poll list is on our website, which you can find at grawlixpodcast.com forward slash list or you can find it on like uh the sidebar there you can find it just go to the website and it's got all sorts of comics on there that people have added i don't know maybe we added at one point but i don't think any of our original editions are still on there anymore no uh, yeah i think we got through all those a while back anyways uh you you could vote on them and then we will read and review uh whatever gets the most votes and so that's why we're reading sandman Volume one, Preludes and Nocturnes. So every month, do, do the votes reset to zero or do they just stay in like forever? They stay. The votes accumulate. So if a book doesn't get picked, you know, we have a whole list that you could vote on and we pick the winner every month, but the votes on the other books don't go away because that way every vote counts on like certain institutions. Um uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get our jabs in when we can. Wait, we don't have an electoral college? That's weird. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, although uh, it might be rigged. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what happens between the edits. So, That's true. Also, otherwise, there's books that would just never get re- read. Yeah. Because uh, if it reset every time, they wouldn't have like be able to build up votes over time. Right, and, right. You, we'd read nothing but... X-Men books and not Batman. Batman honestly doesn't get added that much. Mm-hmm. Um, we add Batman on purpose. <laughs> yeah. For the most part. I mean, like we were just like, hey, we're going to read White Knight because we want to. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that was fun though. It was a good review too because it was, we had a lot of differing opinions on that. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that made it fun. It's, it's, yeah, it was good. I mean, I really wanted you to love that book, but I'm glad you did have the opinion because it made for a more lively discussion 
Well, I am just worried about this re- review then because every- everyone loves Sandman. But first, what did, what one for next time? Oh, good question. Hey, uh, so the winner for next month or whenever we actually release <laughs> that episode uh, will be Exo Man of War Volume 1 from... 2012. So this wouldn't be like the initial Exo Manowar run. This would be uh, when Valiant Comics kind of uh, returned. They did. They made a big push. Like, I don't know if they, I'm assuming maybe they rebooted, but they made a big push of all the classic uh, Valiant stuff. It's all new again. Right. I don't even know what this is, but by the title, I don't, I don't know. I thought I'm going to like it. I'm not sure. I've never read. I've never read any EXO. It kind of. I'm sure this is going to upset EXO fans, and I'm probably wrong. I've never read it. It looked like a. What's the word? Um, Iron Man in space. It looked like a Costco version of Iron Man. You know, it's like <laughs> oh the knockoff Iron oh Man. <laughs> I think it's more space based than Iron Man. Oh, okay. But, that that sounds cool. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm wrong. I will. I knowingly spoke from a place of ignorance, and I know this, so it's fine. Well, we'll look forward to Space Man next time. This time, it's Dream Man. Dream Man. My Dream Man. Your Dream Man. Well, everyone's Dream Man. Yeah, so, okay. Sandman. Written by Neil Gaiman, published by DC Comics. It was released under Vertigo, um, the Vertigo imprint. Uh, originally ran for 75 issues from January 1989 which does seem late for as 80s as this feels, mm. uh, to 1996. Uh, we will be discussing... Oh, interesting. It didn't become a, a Vertigo title till 93. Really? Hmm. Yeah. That would explain why it has so much crossover, I guess. Yeah. Because I was surprised by just how many characters I recognized. Oh, that's definitely something I want to get into. Like, mm-hmm. It feels so weird once they... like. He's on the Justice League space station. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be discussing. I mean, it's Sandman. Mm-hmm. If, if you're listening to this and you know comics, you know Sandman. There's various artists, and I don't have the list who worked specifically on this book, but as we go through it, maybe we can dive into it. This is the first eight issues. Let's talk about it. Sandman. Uh, had, had, this is such a stupid question because I know. Had you guys ever read this before? Yes. Yes. I had not, mm-hmm. which is amazing. It is. Jesse, I think it was you at one point it said like you were surprised I hadn't read it because how much I love that time period, you know, Alan Moore Swamp Thing. And as I was reading this, I was like, yeah, this is this is exactly that. It's that side of the dark, the DC magical, mm-hmm. mystical, dark universe. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. It is great. <laughs> it's like Swamp Thing without having Swamp Thing in it. You know, like that was the first thing on a reread here that I was like, oh, man, this this has the same vibe. It has mm-hmm. the same vibe. It's as smartly written as any of the Alan Moore stuff. And it's got it's got the it's got all the characters. It's got a monitor all there. <laughs> is it Constantine is in this. Etrigan shows up. And I don't know why. He's the best. I think it's because he just, they use Etrigan. He pops up randomly in my favorite comics, but mm, he's in right. this. Gaiman's version of the mystical side of the DC universe isn't that much different, but I was intrigued by like, because 
I'm sure other lots of other writers have hit on this. And then Alan Moore, I don't know that he expanded on it, but it felt like Alan Moore Swamp Thing stuff kind of expanded that side of things a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Gaiman, this feels like he kind of just got free reign to like Gaiman it up. It's like yeah. his wheelhouse, this kind of weird, mystical, uh, kind of magical, dark fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. So it kind of seems like he was able to really craft what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. Like I love how it fills these aspects of that DC universe out. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the DC universe. Mm-hmm. No. It's like you were saying, Jesse. It, so it is a little weird when, you know, there's a lot of recognizable DC characters in this. Mm-hmm. No, a f- there's a few, you know. Yeah. First off, I do want to mention, Melanie, you read copies of the original books, the original yeah. solo yeah. issues. I read this actual book, The Preludes and Nocturnes, specifically. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, except it has been remastered and I think recolored. Mm-hmm. And I had meant to look at the copies you read because I wanted to compare and I didn't. I forgot. But uh, the new version looked really good. Like mm-hmm. I thought it looked great. I, it was digital. I read it digitally. But tell me about your guys's first experience since you've read this before, your first experience reading it, your first impressions. Yeah. Okay. My first experience, sorry to steal it, but Randy wanted me to start reading comic books and I had complained that I didn't really want to because I don't care for superheroes very much. And so he did some research and he said, here, read this. And I was like, eh, okay. And then I started reading it and I'm like, I love it. I love it. I love it. I want to read it all. And I did. (laughs) And pretty soon after that, I was like, okay, now you got to give me something else and make it good. And then he gave me what? Walking Dead? I don't know. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's all been great. And I think the main re- the main thing that got me okay with it in the first place was that it was by a gay man, and I have read several gay man books that I really like. And I was like, yeah, but that's not comic books. But he he does magic with everything he touches. So yeah. No. Yeah. When I was researching like mm-hmm. comic books for non superhero fans or non comic book readers or the first Sandman pops up all the time mm-hmm. because I think. It's Gaiman. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, not only just his name attached to it, but like it's definitely the limited experience I have with Neil Gaiman properties. It seems like his thing. He has a, a way of taking stuff and going both really, really dark and light and funny and and like kind of bubbly almost. That is amazing to me. I don't know how he does it, but it always, but it works. And that's I get that from this, from everything that he does, really. But but this specifically. I have one more comment, and then I'm going to kick over to Jesse. Uh, no, you're right. And that's one of the things that surprised me about this is how dark it goes. This goes super dark. Like, this, I feel like, goes way more, way darker than Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. And Alan Moore can do some pretty twisted things. But this, I feel, goes way darker. But at the same time, you're right. Like, even this, which I was a little worried because some of, when I speak of the Neil Gaiman stuff I know, it's usually stuff based on his writings, mm-hmm. not necessarily his actual writings. Or even like his Doctor Who episodes, like mm-hmm. with the exception of that last one he did, you know, good, but a little cutesy. Like, yeah, he, 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 there's a lot of whimsy in his stuff. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, well, OK, I get it. I appreciate it. But it's a little, a little too cute. Mm-hmm. So I kind of thought there'd be that uh, maybe a little of that. I feel like this has the whimsy, but it doesn't go cu- overly cutesy. Mm-hmm. And you're right. At the same time, there's the whimsy and the humor. And horrible, horrible, dark stuff, dead babies and, and and rape. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah. So 
Okay, Jesse, what, what did you, when did you read this? What did you think about it? <laughs> I'm trying to think, and I, I think it was probably right around the same time that The Crow came out. So I, it wasn't like new. Ah. You know, like I didn't, I didn't read it, um, you know, brand spanking new or anything. But I had already heard of it. You know, like it, it gained a, a pretty quick cult following. I think uh, because I, it, it, it's been one of those books that you know people have known about and raved about for decades so mm-hmm. and well, watch reading it right after the crow man that that rocks yeah, that's perfect <laughs> well kind of around that time because i mean it fit it fit in with that kind of 90s sensibility you know it's like it felt like uh something that you should read after the crow right oh definitely they are well when was the crow com the graphic novel written i can't remember we reviewed it uh 94 years ago. i believe yeah, yeah oh, years ago okay Okay. So yeah, this would have been—I mean, not too much longer after afterwards, but it may, maybe about five years is probably when Weird. I read it. it five or six years after the crow, because I didn't know about the crow until after the movie. So yeah, then then the movie hits, and you're like, okay, I need to read the original thing. Mm-hmm. A different different tone, and I I like the crow, but different level of quality. Mm-hmm. Still, birds of a feather. Those uh, the crow in this. They probably well, hung out. It, pun. What? What'd you say, Molly? I said they probably hung out. And danced. <laughs> Did yeah. cat dancing. They got the same uh they got the same hairstylist for sure. Yeah. Oh, it's so eighties that hair. So I'm a because I'm a super nerd, and I was like when I sat down to read this, I opened it up and I'm like, I'm reading Sandman for the first time. I, I gotta do it. And so I read most of this with a soundtrack of 80s goth rock playing. <laughs> oh, I yeah. I had to. I was like, I got it. I didn't go so far as to light some candles and turn off the lights, but uh, I had to set the I had to set the tone. And it was perfect. And uh, there, speaking of music, there's a lot of music referenced, uh-huh. but it's all like, it's not necessarily goth rock. There is some mention of some like, not like super obscure goth rock, but some 80s kind of gothy rock mm-hmm. bands in there. I was like, oh, yeah, he knows. Yeah, but most of the music referenced is like old classic, uh, dream related. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Sandman. Like characters are always singing. Constantine's whole bit, he's always hearing music that uh-huh. has to do with the Sandman or dreams. Yeah, and it's actually, if you look it up online, it's super easy to find a playlist of all the songs cited uh-huh. in Sandman. Yeah, and yeah, uh-huh. they're all it's all dream stuff. Yeah. It all kind of blends together in my memory a little bit. Uh, I remember liking it all, but I also hadn't. I liked it. I really enjoyed it. And then I left it alone for years and years and years. And uh, I know it's I know it's great, but I, I haven't read a bunch of the other stuff. So. So did you, you never got to the dream baby? No, no, I don't know what that oh. is. So how did it strike you on this reread? I really enjoyed it. And that was also the thing where I was just like, really struck by how similar it is to Swamp Thing. Because I think that's when I made that comment to you was like after the reread where I was like, oh, dude, this is right up your alley. It is. I was surprised a little bit because there are things that I thought happened in the beginning that didn't happen. And there's stuff that I thought happened later that already happened. So my time frames were a little mixed up on Mm -hmm. just certain events. But of course, I still loved it. This being my first read. A few things that I found interesting were Dream doesn't say like hardly anything for the first issue or two issues. Mm -hmm. Like he's captive in a 
glass. You don't even really, I guess you see it towards the end, a glass cube or box or circle or whatever. Decahedron. I don't know what yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> some type of glass. He's imprisoned for the first long time and you don't get like anything from him. And I feel like that's, for one, that's smart because it establishes him as like kind of this, he's definitely brooding, like a, or yeah, I guess brooding, but he's, it gives him a mysteriousness. Mm-hmm. And one thing while reading through, and I really like the story, like game is just good. Like it doesn't matter. At one point, I think from there, you basically shift to Constantine's perspective and you get a Constantine story mm-hmm. and it maintains that, uh, that kind of uh, mysteriousness of dream and just the way that Constantine reacts like I think that's smart but Gaiman's also really good about regardless whose perspective it's from he's writing a good story mm-hmm. it's good writing it's interesting mm-hmm. it seems like he captured Alan Moore's Constantine too it didn't feel like uh, mm-hmm. you know the Hellblazer Constantine as much as it did the original Alan Moore yeah I like yeah uh, Hellblazer he's a little too schmarmy sometimes right but the original Constantine has that but it's not overly done. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, he legit gets scared. And not that Constantine doesn't get scared, but he, I had to, there's, there's a couple of times I had to like, you know, screenshot a panel and send it to Melanie. But I, you know, he's with Dream and he's like thinking to himself, uh, like, or the narration, something about, you know, it's like a horror movie, like in horror movies where they sp- make the terrible decision to split up. And then the next panel is he looks at, he looks at Dream and he's like, we're going to stick together, right? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, you actually, I mean, okay, Constantine gets scared, but you actually get a little bit of like a vulnerable Constantine. And he's not invulnerable. He often makes mistakes and gets himself into trouble. But yeah, just it gives you an idea of dream, like. Of dream status. Kind dream of status. Like. The way that Constantine behaves around him. Also, and it sets that up, like, it sets that up really well at the beginning of the Constantine bit. That then also adds to the humor of Dream having to ride around in the back of this dude's car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and while, yeah. you know, Constantine's like, can we stop over here? I need to get something to eat, blah, blah, blah. Like, just ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. That said, I was worried. My whole point was I was worried then when it shifted over to Dream, mm-hmm. which it does. But I guess even after it does, we still, like, jump between characters because we got that Dr. Destiny or whatever his name is story, which is mostly from kind of his perspective. Mm-hmm. I was worried that Dream would lose some of that mystery. And I guess you learn more about him. So technically it does, but he doesn't lose the the bravado or whatever when we shift to him. Even when we see him feeding pigeons, being moody because he's depressed or like whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like it still doesn't, he doesn't lose anything as a character. He's still interesting. Mm-hmm. He still snatches that ball right out of the air. Yeah. Oh, you love that. I yeah. do. To be able to set up that character as, you know, He's, he's like a, they're like gods or whatever, basically mm-hmm. eternals. And then to shift to like where you're just, he's the main character. That's who you're following and not lose that like sense of grandeur. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah. I really like the way that Gaiman makes everybody kind of likable and normal. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, he's still like grand or whatever but he's like he's just such a normal type person still too yeah and my, my big one is the dr destiny is that his name mm-hmm. oh. he's such a bad guy but either like that through that whole car ride with that chick uh it makes him like cute yes. and like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. innocent almost yeah and you're like what a great guy and then he totally just like it's like bam and he's like oh great thanks like she gets she 
offers him the coat, you know, yeah. like, here, take this coat. And he's like, oh, great, thanks. And he, the look at his, the way his face is drawn. Yeah. So, you know, props to that artist. There's at least two artists that handle him in this distinctly with different styles. And I like the way the first artist handled him. Mm-hmm. So there's basically him without hair and then him with hair because mm-hmm. partway through they switch artists and he has like kind of hair. I like the him without hair because he draws his face so cute, even though he's like this horrible skeleton man. Yeah. But yeah, he's like, oh, great. Thanks. And then pulls out a good and shoots her. Yeah. What? It kind of makes evil more evil when it's uh-huh. nice first, you know? I don't know. I But I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just like it's, it's bewildering evil. It's yeah. not like a, a malice. It's just innocent evil he's just like this is what i'm doing yeah horrible things it's fine hey thanks like to turn those kinds of things on their side because like death when we when we meet her it's funny because you would not think of dream as being the broody one out of the two of them yeah and he totally is like come on you sad sack let's go do some things together (laughs) well yeah (laughs) aka my job which is death Death, she shows up before you even know that for sure that she's death. She shows up and she's doing Mary cracking jokes about Mary Poppin quotes. What do you get? What do you overfeed a pigeon? Fat pigeons. And she's like <laughs> having fun. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's as gothed out as he is, but she's a she's a cheerful goth. You're right. Oh, that reminds me of another aspect I didn't know about Dream, but makes so much sense and very interesting. And also then makes me wonder why as a reader, he appears as a, as a very pale goth guy. But, uh. He looks different to different people, depending on, like, I guess, culture and stuff. Uh-huh. And I love that they just do that, and that's enough to explain it, and you uh-huh. kind of get wise. Like, well, of course, if he's not going to look like an 80s goth guy for all of eternity. Yeah. But, you know, he comes across somebody in, in hell. Eve. He comes across somebody who knew him. Um, it's Eve. Eve? hmm Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And he appears to her as like, uh, you know, African guy. Mm-hmm. And it just like, when it cuts to close up of his face while he's talking to her, he's African guy. And like the story, that's it. That's all you need to know. Like it doesn't dive into it. And then when he appears to Martian Manhunter, he's like this crazy fire demon looking thing because that's what sleep was to the Martians. I, I love that. I love that little bit. It's so smart and it makes so much sense. But also then... Why do we see him as an 80s goth guy? <laughs> because you love the crow. No. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. What's, what's wrong with us is the comic book readers. <laughs> it's interesting because uh, this this last issue with death is also, this would be the issue that we complained about when we read uh, Thor, the goddess of thunder. This is the weird offbeat um, uh-huh. in between story arcs kind of thing. And uh, this is that done right. Just giving mm-hmm. us, uh, you know, an opportunity to breathe after this really epic overarching arc. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and yet yeah, it doesn't, uh, it, it expands the universe. It doesn't give us anything that's super vital, I guess, other than more backstory. I was thinking that too. I was like, you know, this could easily just be a seven issue trade. It's a perfect arc. But you're right. Like, I like that. It feels different. And But I think it's smart to throw it in there because, I don't know, that story in general is smart because you get this arc and then after the arc, like, you go to this next thing and it's just like, well, what do we do now? He got his, like, his adventures over. So we start this little in-between story where 
<laughs> Sleep is sitting there like moody and and brooding over the fact that his adventure's over and he doesn't know what to do. And it's like, he's like, yeah. oh, I got all my power back. I don't know what to do. And it's like, oh, that's so funny. That'd be our concern. That'd be the yeah. writer's concern. Like that's yeah. just straight up addressing it. I really liked also that they introduced Death because she's the whole reason for first adventure in the, in the first place because mm-hmm. they were trying to get her. It's wise to end the book on something like this if you were, you know, with it. It's Sandman. People know it. And if they're going to buy more Sandman, they're going to buy it. But it's it's a nice taster, teaser or whatever. It's like introduces death, sets up more of the lore, how things work, but also like gives you more of the tone. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably has the lightest tone mm-hmm. while still addressing death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it has there, – if there was one panel in this that maybe uh, – I didn't like – get misty eye but maybe it was like oh like really kind of bummed me out a little bit a little bit was when death is going around you know to people after they die and man i love how it's handled too is when death finally like you know she talks to whoever is deceased and like and then the, the wings there's always like then i hear the the you know the beating of the wings giant wings or something and you don't actually see what happens at that point and i thought that was cool but she comes in for the baby and it's mm-hmm. a baby, so obviously the baby oh, can't yeah. talk. But after the baby's dead, it could talk. And, it, and it's just like, well, was that all? The, is that it? Was that all there was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, I can't have any more. And, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry not. And I was like, oh, man, that bummed me, that bummed me right out for some reason. Yeah. So point is, like, even one of the most bummer moments to me, but was also in the most, like, upbeat, visually and character-wise, upbeat, fun issues. Yeah. And if it ended with just the arc and its end without this at the end, then yeah, I I think maybe people would be like, well, why? What is, you know? Yeah. What else is there? And then and then yeah. Well, that's the story, and this sets up like, well, no, there's more story. So come back next time. <laughs> <laughs> and this very poetic like return type of thing, like it's circular. That issue, it's it's yeah, a yeah. really cool issue in that like you've got like the sports bro that that does the whole thing, and then at the end of the like she says that she's going to see him soon, and you think oh soon is relative to a being like her, but we see we actually see his death. Spoilers mm-hmm. at the end of that issue, and we get to see how that plays out. I don't know. He, it's almost like how how Dream gets his groove back kind of thing. I don't uh-huh. know how hanging out with his sister Death all day helped him do it. But like at the end, he's like just throwing his, the seed in the air. And, and then the next thing he hears is the sound of wings. Yeah. But it's actually just pigeons. Which is so fun. Like that's such a fun story thing. Mm-hmm. Repeating motifs. Yeah. Motif? Motifs, yeah. Yeah, so what what were some of the f- best parts? I mean, we've kind of highlighted them along the way, but what were your absolute favorite parts? I just think some of the more some of the aspects that I find super hardcore about it are my favorite. Like the one guy, and I do kind of feel bad for him because he didn't enslave or not enslave. Oh, the uh, son? Yes. Okay. He's not the one who captured him, but he didn't let him go either. Yeah. But the the waking nightmare thing. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, that's the very Doctor Who thing about this. It's like, yeah. mm-hmm. like do not mess with with Dream because yeah. holy cow. I found it odd that he got a more severe punishment than Doctor Destiny, but I guess Dream wasn't really around for kind of the really evil stuff that Doctor Destiny did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I already told you about that. I do like the Doctor Destiny part, the, the, the driving with the lady. That part I liked a lot. And... and 
I liked the bit with him. I liked his whole thing because I liked him at Arkham when he was both when he was escaping and when he was returning. And um, was it Scarecrow? Mm-hmm. Scarecrow was <laughs> Scarecrow's like Scarecrow's such a ham. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is. <laughs> like, Look, I'm scary. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like pranking people. He's like sitting there uh, <laughs> hanging, hanging by a noose, and then he's like, "Ah, this is, I'll just practice it for tomorrow." This is, you know, <laughs> April like, Fool's Day hey, or whatever. Hey, you guys know me, right? This is my thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this looks scary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, were you scared? Were you scared? <laughs> but you're talking about the bit where he's like, "All right, I'm leaving." He's like, "All right, you'll I'll see you later. You'll be back." You, yeah. We always come back. Yeah. And then and then he did, and he's like, "Yep, yeah, see, I told you." <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Okay, I, I do want to get to my, my favorite moments because I know them because I think I had this conversation with Melanie before. But one thing I really appreciate about this, and this is part of what I liked about Swamp Thing because it's the way Alan Moore also kind of writes a lot of the stories. We're not just following this character or this, you know, say a superhero, mm-hmm. and then this happens and plot happens, and then they got to go fight. That's a jab at superhero stories, but, you know, just all stories. We're not just following a character as he goes through this plot. There's a storytelling device or some type of uh, plot device in every issue, in every section of it to where it's not just we're following him and what happens. We are, you know, in one issue, we're following the guy that captured him or like a tangential character to that guy, this old guy who gives him the book. And then we're following his son. This whole like unnecessary stuff, really, but super interesting story. Mm Mm-hmm. To get to the point of like he was imprisoned and out of you know commission for seventy years, mm-hmm. and so now that sets up his adventure. He's got to go get his stuff back, and then the next story, it's not like following him to go get his stuff back. It's now we're with Constantine, and he's doing his own thing, and there's mentions to his other adventures, and then when Dream shows up, there's this whole side thing with like Constantine, like one of Constantine's ex ladies, mm-hmm. and whew, that stuff's really dark. Yeah, also. What happened to the dude that broke into her house and then was just like in a sex stream? And then we never see him again. He got absorbed. Yeah. It's so strange. Once we get to the Dr. Destiny stuff, it's not just like, well, here's his emerald. No, we're going to spend like a whole issue going over the 24 hours leading up to basically Mm -hmm. where he's torturing these people in a cafe. And it's an hour by hour breakdown. It's like, it's just this totally not plot. I mean, it all ties into the plot, of course, because it's good writing, but it's, it doesn't really have anything to do with it. It's just its own little contained story full of great ideas, interesting characters, not even the main character. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the end. That's how it all goes. And I find it's that basically like he was so jonesing. He was jonesing for power. And he's like, OK, here's all the itches I have to scratch before we ruin everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like we're going to now we're going to be now I need you to entertain me. Now I need your adoration. Now I need, you know, like he just goes through all these different things. I need you to chop your own fingers off. One of the things that I really like about Gaiman and others that you would, wouldn't necessarily know, or you won't know because this is all you've read, but there are, there are times in the future of the story when there are some of these little things that don't, that are just little side bits that don't really make a difference, do make a difference in the future. You're like, wait, wait, that happened like in like the third episode. How is, I mean, not episode issue. And you're bringing it up now, you know, that's mm-hmm. crazy. But I love that. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Well, my first kind of clue to that was because Alan Moore's Swamp Thing does that a lot too. Yeah. To where, you know, sometimes it does straight up just follow Swamp Thing and here's what's happening. But other times there's this extra premise and that's really seems, that's the focus while the main overarching plot just like is tied in somehow mm-hmm. is, and I know this is one of your least favorite parts of it, but when it goes to Cain and Abel. Yeah. Which Alan Moore did as well to where mm-hmm. suddenly like you go to a next issue of Swamp Thing and we're like follow these two weird, ridiculous Cain and Abel brothers. And it's like, what? What does this have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. This does the exact same thing. All of a sudden we're like, it jumps over to them and it's like, what? And of course then Dream shows up, it ties into it. But there's this extra plot and arc with them mm-hmm. that bookends that issue in a really super depressing way, honestly. Like I felt that, that I guess kind of hit me too. I was like, oh, just the very end of it. But yeah, that's when I was like, oh, this is okay. This is next. This is definitely next level writing. Like this is really good. Mm-hmm. Okay. My favorite. We've already touched on it. The cafe scene was so hardcore, but it was, it was so awesome. And there's so much weird stuff in there. Weird ideas. Oh my God. Yeah. Even uh, like each character that's in there has got a kind of a weird kink or quirk. And they're all fairly fleshed out characters. Mm-hmm. It gets to the point where when <laughs> the issue, this issue starts and you're following this, uh, this waitress who people don't really know she's not just a waitress. She's actually a writer. But she doesn't tell people that because then they won't tell <laughs> right. them their, her, their stories. Whatever. She's got their dreams and it goes into her. And it like it gets to the point where you don't even question it when it starts an issue. And it's, we're following this waitress for like three hit pages because that's just what it becomes. It's just like, yeah, this is another one of those stories. But it goes hour by hour of him in this thing. Nobody leaves. I, I love when it first establishes like the, like the big guy and his wife go to get up to leave. And they're like, uh how about some more whatever, whatever, and sits back down and like they do that twice. And it just progressively gets darker and more twisted. And and then, you know, in hour 12, everyone pleasured themselves or whatever, like just weird stuff. Right. And, and then it's they're cutting each other's fingers off and then they're, they're pack animals. And then he's like, and then they worshipped me. And then it's so crazy. But that's one of my favorite parts. Dr. Destiny, I can't imagine whatever the original version of Dr. Destiny was, was anywhere near as cool as what Gaiman did with him here. Yeah, I guess the Constantine story, I think too, because that's mm. obviously it ties it close to Swamp Thing and it feels very swampy at that moment. Did we get Jesse's favorites? No, he's next. I okay. mean, we, we, we've we basically covered them all. Yeah. I love that death issue because of the, the crazy circular nature of the story and how mm-hmm. it like comes back around. It's almost poetic the way that that works. Yeah. The Dr. Destiny stuff. And uh, also, yeah, how dark Dream gets with when he doles out his like punishments kind of thing. And uh-huh. when he like... When he gets full power, man, he's like, okay, now I've got all of my full power. Sorry, Dr. Destiny. And he's like a giant and he's just like so chill about it. So all things that we've already touched on. But yeah, those are my favorites. Randy, the thing that you talked about that you really liked was the rules. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you re- I forgot about this. Okay. So what this got me thinking about was, yes, he has like he's super powerful uh, he has crazy kind of magical powers. He interacts with demons and he has a contest against a demon at one point. And there's like these crazy kind of rules. 
but it establishes how everything works. And it does it like smoothly. It's not like just exposition dumps, but it just, it establishes how this magic works. And like the fact that he can't just conjure anything he wants. He has to work from things that exist in people's dreams. Like at one point he needs to put some concoction together and he's like, so I grabbed the wheat from a, you know, whatever, whatever farmer from Argentina's dream and blah, blah, blah. And I got this from whoever's dream. And I was able to pull this from this dream, but the black, what was it? The black girl lamb or whatever, the black female lamb, that one was tricky. Fortunately, a little girl in wherever, wherever was dreaming about one. So he was able to pull one from there. And I'm like, first off, that's so cool. But also, it's not just like some weird nebulous powers he has. There's rules to it, and it establishes what those rules are. And it made me think of bringing on the bad guys when I was complaining about, oh, yeah. you know, old school Doctor Strange fighting Dormammu where he's doing magic things, but there's no rules. There's nothing established, and none of it th therefore meant anything to me. It was just like he holds his hands up, and then lights happen, and I'm supposed to understand, like, what his strengths and hey, – yeah, I'm sure – you read more Doctor Strange, it establishes things. But based on that story alone, like one of my gripes I remember, this is years ago, listeners, you go back and listen to it. Here, the magic makes sense. There's rules, there's logic, there's, you know, he, it's not, yeah, I mean, he, I'm sure he basically has limitless power, but he has to do things to make it work. And uh, I love that. And I loved how that was approached. It's crazy how, like, when his powers are like left unchecked like out in the out in the mortal realm or whatever how they get like twisted you know like uh dr destiny twists the 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 gem the sand dust or the like the sleep dust or whatever how that gets twisted and used incorrectly i guess the dr destiny the way that works was a little kind of nebulous but it, at least like it explained how he was able to harness it and it says you know okay it makes dreams reality. That makes sense. I can grasp that. But then like how it was actually working was weird. So I'm like, well, he obviously has like control over it, but he's not necessarily dreaming. So I guess that's a little nebulous, but you kind of roll with it because it's so crazy. What didn't you guys like about this? Nothing. Oh man. Yeah. I, I don't know. You didn't like Ma Kane maybe, maybe like shoehorning in the DC characters, but even that was kind of fun. Like even, even that uh, Neil Gaiman, like he chose the right characters to have like Martian Manhunter to see mm -hmm. him, you know, as the Martian version or whatever. Who they worshipped and stuff all crazy. I didn't expect yeah. that. But. Yeah, that was interesting. Like, so, yeah. Makes sense, though. I mean, shapeshifter dream thing, you know. There's like two Justice League characters that is in there. And it's Martian Manhunter. And he uses that to his advantage to establish like he's not just an Earth thing. So mm -hmm. that's building on the lore of sleep. And then at least with the other guy, I, uh, what's his name? Scott Free. Um, Mr. Miracle, maybe? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. It is a little jarring, but when we start that issue, we jump, we start in his dream of trying to escape Apocalypse. First off, I thought that was handled interestingly, where he's trying to escape, and then he ends up in this like weird torture thing every time. But also the art style shifts dramatically to kind of mimic that time period when that, you know, the, the new gods time mm -hmm. period art style. Uh, I thought that was kind of fun. And also that like, he was not grasping who this guy was. And he's just like, is this going to be every night? Like what? he's <laughs> irritated that this guy shows up and wakes him up. Yeah. I don't know. So it, it was a little weird, but Gaiman was still able to use them to good effect. Mm -hmm. would, would you recommend this? <laughs> Cause I always ask. It's <laughs> such a silly question. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yes, I, I would recommend this. I would recommend this to everyone because it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, maybe not kids, but... Of course, this is after Swamp Thing established that DC kicked off the Comics Authority Code and was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I was surprised with how adult this was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't say, see any sex stuff, but there's like nudity and off-panel sex stuff. and So maybe PG, PG-13? I think for for a for a comic book, yeah, definitely PG thirteen. If it were like a movie presented as it is, it'd be R for sure. You think? Oh yeah. I would recommend it to adults and then kids that were mature enough to I think to handle it. Teens for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think teens could handle this. Yeah. I think they'd love it. This is perfect for teens. Right. I would recommend it. Same. Okay. Jesse? Yeah, oh yeah. I guess those are the those are the best uh parameters, really. Uh because I think that comic book Comic book readers, you know, general comic book readers or superhero fans are going to like this. And I think non-superhero fans are going to like it as well. So, yeah, just basically age. As we can attest to with Melanie, like it is a good book to recommend to non-superhero fans and maybe new comic book readers. And it's interesting because the art is we didn't even really talk on the art. I know we're going up on time because we still have a letters to read too. You're right. But we didn't even touch on the art. This has that crazy... First off, the covers, that's what I know of Sandman, of course, are the covers, because I've seen those, you know, since the 90s, I'd seen those covers around. And it's got those weird, like, kind of photo covers that Vertigo was doing for a while. But the art inside is cool, and it has a lot of full-page kind of, like, interesting layouts, very artistic, stylized designs in the layouts, and, like, the frames are just, like, very weird, intricate frames that aren't part of the thing. It's just art kind of in the way that swamp thing was but swamp thing had less of that and more like just weird sprawling layouts mm-hmm. right but i feel like this is still accessible to a new reader because i never had any trouble knowing where my eyes were supposed to go next mm-hmm. from like following word balloons and i remember even in some of the early swamp thing that could be a little confusing like so it handled it really well and that's like that's great artwork too but even occasionally in Swamp Thing, I remember there being issues of like, oh, where does my eye go next? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, f- re- I don't think I had that issue with this at all. I don't remember being like, I oh, I, I read that out of order. I don't think I had that moment. I never did. No, there's even a couple times where I'm like, I'm kind of surprised I didn't read that out of order. Uh, oh, I look right. back at it, I'm like, what is it that drew my eye from there to there? Because there's like this whole page of just stuff happening in three word balloons, and I managed to hit them in the right spots. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's well designed. And it does change artists. Again, I'm sorry. I don't have the list of artists. Uh, Some of the art is great. Some of it's pretty good. I didn't feel like any of it was bad. Occasionally, you kind of get into that where it's it's a stylistic thing where it's a little kind of muddy. I can tell you the artists that are listed on the cover. We've got uh, illustrated by Sam Keith, Mike Dringenberg, and Malcolm Jones III. There's some bizarre stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, the artists, this I would think would be a good book. For most artists, because there's a lot of, first off, there's a lot of like reading in the text. Gaiman establishes some weird concepts, and I don't know how much like in this like script that they get, how much he goes into it. Some writers like write full out like prose to explaining mm-hmm. it, and some just let it go to the artists. But there's some weird concepts in here where I'm like, I did kind of, there's a couple times where I stopped and was like, I bet this is one of those moments and the artist handled it well. It's very interesting, but I'm like looking at what's happening, looking at like thinking about the scenario that, that gaming come up with. I'm like, I wonder if there's ever times where the artist is like, 
what? Mm-hmm. How? <laughs> right. So, okay. So, like, for example, the, they're having this this battle where uh, he's battling this demon in this contest to where, like, basically they think a thing and it becomes reality. And that's how, like, one's like, you know, I'm a wolf. And then he's like, well, I'm a, I'm a hunter on a horse. And the other one's like, well, I'm a bee that stung that horse and threw the hunter off and broke his leg. And, you know, they oh, one yeah, up each other. The, the whole thing with hell and, and the mm-hmm. contest. Yeah. And then it, it gets to the point where he's like, oh, the planet eating expanding sun and I'm the universe. And uh, do you think the writer was like, oh, I'm anti-life. Um, <laughs> Can't wait to draw this. Thanks. Oh, what, Thanks, what? Neil. <laughs> but some of the designs, specifically Hell, like Beelzebub. And also I like the idea that it's not Lucifer, Beelzebub, and whatever, all of the same thing. They're different entities uh-huh. that right. are now sharing rule of well, Hell. What's a triumvirate? But like Beelzebub and the other thing. What was the other thing? I can't remember. The way they're depicted... Beelzebub's like a giant bug, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and one thing is like a eye, thing of eyes with like, I don't, they're so weird. It's so weird designs. Well, even Morpheus, even Dream, he's got like that weird helmet that's almost like Cthulhu-esque, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even match his outfit? No. No. And I don't understand what its purpose could be. It's his helmet. Yeah, it's not really spelled out, is it? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. But it's where he put some of his power in it. The sand, the bag of sand, mm-hmm. I get. The emerald, the way it's used, you kind of get. The helm, I don't understand. Yeah. But it looks cool. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a crazy combination of, a, yeah, like a Cthulhu-inspired, Jules Verne, deep-sea diving. Uh, gas mask. Gas mask mixed with a little element of that those creepy uh, plague doctor yeah. bird face <laughs> yeah. masks. Yep. It's it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. I love this book. Yeah, I it know. It was hard not to read more. I have, I have, you know, you've read it all, so I've got it all. It was hard not to continue, but I was like, nah, I'll wait. Mm-hmm. And it's a little wordy, but man, it does, it's it's so good. But though. it doesn't, it's not, it's not, I mean, it is wordy, but it's not. It doesn't feel long. Yeah. That was a thing I was worried about, like going into this, because yeah, I've read a lot of uh, Game and Prose stuff and uh, he can really get into the weeds. And I was worried about that with the comics stuff. But it never felt like that. It never felt like he was just um, describing the world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it took me – I think I got through this in like three sittings. And it was never a moment of like – I never quit because I was like, okay, um, this is getting boring or whatever. It was always like, oh, God, I've been reading this for a while. I need to go do something else, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. It was, it was, and once I actually got into it, I kept wanting to come back to read it. So it's good. So as we all knew – Sandman is wonderful and Damon is wonderful and you should consume it all. True. And now, what else can we consume, Randall? Letters. Let's consume some letters. The letters page, listener. Is it a page? I don't think it's a page. But basically, it's just uh, your chance of one of many, actually, but to interact with us. Uh, and we like it when you do. So you can write into us in email form at GrawlixLettersPage.com? Right? <laughs> letters at GrawlixPodcast.com, I believe. Letters at GrawlixPodcast.com. Thank you. Or you can uh, call in, and that's 1-800-wait-one-something-something-for-comics. <laughs> we'll pop it in there. Hold on. I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll we, we're good at this. We know. We know this I, stuff. I don't. You guys might, but I... Psh. 
Oh, I'm going to have to pull it up. It is. Uh, you can call in and leave a voicemail at our hotline, which would be area code 559-426-6427, or if you prefer, 559-4-COMICS. Yes. Or if you want to record something, but you don't want to do it on the phone, you can always send that into the email also, a voice clip, and we will play that. Try to keep it under two minutes and try to keep it clean language so that yeah. Randy doesn't have to pot edit that. That'd be nice. Or if you're just too lazy to do all that, you could get on Facebook and send us a message there because we have a Facebook page also. Yep. Facebook.com slash Podcast. Or, hey, if you just join our Facebook group, it's uh, Facebook.com slash groups or groups or group, whatever it is on Facebook slash Podcast. Yeah, we post stuff in there fairly often. If you want to start a discussion, I'm all for it. We've got a lot of people that uh, have been adding to it, too, lately. Uh, Jeff Geegan from Make Attorney Great Again has been sharing a lot of, like, He-Man-style memes for us, Mm -hmm. which is kind of nice. I don't know how long we're going to be there, but search us out on CastBox. You can talk to us live when we do a CastBox Live if we continue to do it. Oh, good call. Yeah. Hey, uh, so, yeah, our schedule with the live shows is going to be a little bit more erratic going forward, I think. But... Grolix Nights, you may have seen us post about that if you follow us on social media. I don't know what day or time, so not great. But we let you guys know at some point, about five minutes before. Uh, (laughs) We do a live show, and on CastBox, you know, it's free. It's a free app if you've got a phone, download it. I think you can use it on desktop, too. Uh, Set up an account. It's free. But anyway, we do a live show. You can listen to us live. Chat us up. When we're doing it, we love interacting. We love interacting with the chat. That's mm-hmm. like the best part. Or there's a button. You can call us. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can be on the show. Be on the show with us. Yeah. All right. We do have a letter. Can you guess who it's from? Um, Mark Paul Gosler. No, no I have Mark no idea. Paul Gosler. Who's that? That's an actor or something. <laughs> it is it? an actor, yeah. Okay. I feel like it's a Zach attack. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. No, not him. <laughs> it's from Matt D. What? So Matt sent us a letter because he knew we were talking about Sandman. Hey, Grolix guys and gal. So you have reviewed the Sandman comic book trade, Preludes and Nocturnes. I'm going to guess I know who added that to the list now, that I, now since the way you put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I have such a warm space in my heart for this book. I was a huge comic nerd in my youth. But The Sandman was one of the first books I read in college that basically said comics aren't always about capes and cowls. They can be dark, brooding, gothy, and talk about real-world themes. I was hooked. It was the gateway drug for the Vertigo imprint for the rest of my life. (laughs) Which saddens me to see that DC has dropped the imprint. Yeah, they have. Yeah, again. Yet again. It'll be back. But that is another topic for another day. Back to 1988 with the release of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Eh, Maybe it was 88. So Neil was given a character from the golden age of comics, the Sandman, who was a crime fighter. Really? Okay, hold on. Who was a crime fighter with a gas mask and a gun that shot knockout gas. That's probably where part of the inspiration for the helm come Mm -hmm. from then, huh? Interest. Hmm. I did not know any of this. Neither did I. That makes me appreciate it so much more because this seems like such a Neil Gaiman thing. However... Neil did something completely different. He told a story of a creature that was like a god, an imaginary friend, a Greek character, an anthropomorphic personification, as well as an abstract thought. The Sandman was really out there. 
And he was one of many characters known as the Endless. The Endless, that's what they were. Yeah. I said Eternals, which I knew wasn't right. It's close. I was hooked by Neil's story and forever pulled into this world of stories and tales of fantastic nature and little quiet moments developed. Hold on. Of fantastic nature or little quiet moments, we'll say develop, of character development. We'll say that. Okay. However, if you enjoyed this as much as I do, Go check out Neil's other works. <laughs> Suddenly it feels like... It feels reading like, Rainbow. <laughs> like dark, gothy reading Rainbow. Yeah. However, if you enjoyed this as much as I do, go check out Neil's other works in both prose and comics. In particular, check out Neverwhere, which is something yeah. people... Yeah. yeah. It's good. It's good. It is good. There's several different adaptations. Like I believe there's like a, a BBC TV adaptation. And there's a really good um, audio drama. Audio drama. Oh, yeah. And it's got uh, McAvoy. Uh, it's got Benedict Cumberbatch. It's got, yeah, it's got some great people. Yeah, I agree. Never War is good. I like Good Omens also, which they just made into a thing. Looking forward to hearing your opinions on Sandman Volume 1, Preludes and Nocturnes. Please proceed to provide us with the perfectly palatable podcasting productions. Your fan and friend. Matt Spunky D. <laughs> oh, I, the I like, Spunky. He brought the Spunky back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the alliteration in that last thing. Mm-hmm. And I also like that I was able to just spit it out and not get tongue-tied I, tied on it. Matt, are you <laughs> trying to tie me up? <laughs> he didn't. He, you got through all those P's, but you couldn't say twied. I mean, tied. <laughs> Neither could you. <laughs> One uh, last. I know. Yes, we are going over. We, we already went over. One last thing I do want to ask, though. Sandman Netflix series has been rumored. Mm. Do you think this could work? No. I'm both excited and so worried. It's one of those things where part of the appeal of this, because it's where, okay, like, for example, it's where Preacher kind of gets it right. It's not identical to the comic, but they understand that the part of what makes the comic unique is its kind of wild tone and weird ideas. And even though they're doing and boundary some pushing, yeah, yeah, even though they're doing different ideas, they get it, and so there's like, well, let's make a wild show. But I just worry somebody's just going to look at the plot of this, be like, okay, how can we do the plot? You know, hit a couple of the key moments, and really kind of miss what makes this great. Mm-hmm. They're not going to start an episode where we follow a waitress for twenty minutes. They might, but Let is me. he involved? Because he was involved in uh, Good Omens, and that turned out really well. I would assume so, but with it being a DC property, who knows how much right. he's involved? Like, if they're smart, they would involve him because he's even he's been part of a lot of TV shows without his books, you know, being involved. So yeah, obviously, Doctor Who did it both right and wrong. You know, Nightmare in Silver was not good, but uh, what was it? Um, the one where the TARDIS is. A woman uh, turned human. Yeah, that one's yeah. great. I love that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, Nightmare in Silver. How do you get that wrong? And yeah, because they, they chopped a bunch it of it off. Yeah. No. Yeah. It became a. I don't know if it was. I don't know why they would have needed to change it, but interference or I reshoots I, or rewrites. Like, I thought it was that they they chopped chunks of it off and it. Yeah, changed I think the it story. was probably supposed to be a two parter, and they crammed it into one. Yeah. He's he's a great writer, but like he's not beyond his work getting jacked around by yeah. 
production issues. Okay. Well, hey, this month, it's October. So exciting. I love it. It's my favorite month. Me too. If I had more time and, I guess, attention to things, I'd have all kinds of horror videos up on YouTube. But Jesse just did a Funky on a Saturday video on YouTube. Ooh, Funky on a Saturday. I, so I did. I did. Bringing back that. That's awesome. We'll see how far that goes. <laughs> I do have... I've, so slowly, a little bit, I've been working on writing a couple of like horror list videos because that one oh. we did years ago did so well and like I like it, but yeah. it just takes time. I want to do a horror list video. Oh, good. I'll recruit you. I need your help. So hopefully we'll have more video content. I don't know about games. Like it's just a matter of time and right. the, the game videos Somet- are fun. Sometimes we have a lot of time to play games and sometimes we don't. And then it's like, oh, now I need to play because I need to put a thing out. That's not as fun. And yeah. so yeah. the video is not as fun real fast because they're tangential to uh, the Grox podcast. But I think they're worth mentioning. You have been involved in launching the Vicious Circle podcast oh. for the Electronic Media Collective. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned this. Yeah. So Electronic Media Collective podcast network I founded. We are on it. We're we, technically we're the first show on it. Mm-hmm. Right. We're making a push, bringing on more exclusive shows. For example, Movie Guys podcast just joined at the time of this recording last week, just joined as an exclusive. And a Vicious Circle, new show, launched on our network. It's not exclu- It's timed exclusive, so you'll hear it first on electronicmediacollective.com. But this is a podcast by Sid Udi, who is a old-school pro wrestling legend, Psycho Sid, Sid Justice, Sid Vicious... Uh, Lord Humongous, like uh, so many different names, because that's how wrestlers do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Especially when they jump from promotion to promotion. And you'll hear all about that because it's a super, I find it, so it's a wrestling show, right? And I'm not, I'm not a wrestling fan, but it's not really a wrestling show. It's a podcast about Sid, about his life, mm-hmm. which obviously is going to be interesting to wrestlers or wrestling fans because it's got to do with wrestling. But he also talks about other stuff, and he's such a character. Like, mm-hmm. so it's oh, yeah. it, it's a pretty cool show. It seems pretty unique, and they're just. Uh, f- I think today at the time of recording, the fifth episode dropped. So oh, fun! Go check that out. The only other thing was that I was recently on hand for Omug Comics. As time of recording, this would have been like last weekend or something. They released. Their comic book, which is so, get ready for this because we we don't Grolic's titles. Um, yep. Lenny Vernon, badass trucker. They release it. It's a local comic book uh, publisher out of Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, Omug stands for Omaha Underground Comics. And they released a short film based on their comic, and they released it at the Waiting Room in Benson, Benson, Omaha area. And uh, it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. Uh, Tank Zombie Studios. We were there. We had a little booth, and it was just kind of. It was kind of cool. It was like a like a mini rock concert, a mini uh, movie premiere, and uh, the, the the bar was uh, serving up like uh, signature cocktails just for the event. And uh, it was it was a good time. It was fun. Just wanted to mention that that happened. If you're interested in that, you can look for Omug Comics on, they're on all sorts of things, but they're also on YouTube, and that's where you can see the short film. So look for Omug Comics YouTube channel if you'd like to find out more about Lenny Vernon. All right, and then I have one other thing. Movie fans, Grolic Cinematic Universe, Season 4, The Horror Season, or hashtag 
for her, but I'm not going to push that that hard. Um, <laughs> it, looks better, it looks better if you like write it out. Like It'll yeah. look better as a hashtag than it will as a thing you say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Season 4 is launching this month, which is perfect because it's October. So next week, GCU episode, we will be discussing Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and The Guest. The Guest is an interesting movie. It's more of like a thriller that goes slightly horror, but it's a good pairing with Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which is a movie I've really wanted to talk about for a long time. And that's obviously going to be our first Halloween special. And then the following GCU episode, Jesse will be joining us for. Yeah, oh, hey. Come out and play. Exactly. We'll be talking about The Warriors and Murder Party. The Warriors, obviously not, well, a horror movie or a Halloween movie, but it ties very nicely into Murder Party, which is a Halloween movie. So that's what's coming up this month. This is Jesse, and Grolix gave me this. Fifth birthday. He said, childhood's over the moment you know you're going to die. This is Melanie, and you are all very stupid people, and you don't understand Grolix. This has been Randy. They ruled for 80 years, but no man can live forever, except he who possesses the heart of a star. And Yavin had given hers to Grolix completely. Thank you for listening to the Grolix Podcast. The Grolix Podcast is a production of the Electronic Media Collective and Vorpal Arrow Studios. For more Grolix Podcast, visit GrolixPodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast. Or follow us on Twitter at Grolix Podcast. We're also everywhere. All the time, all at once. Why are the, the pronunciation things always computer voices? Because, yeah, because <laughs> computers always get that right. Given? Here, I will show you how to pronounce it. Okay, given. Computer. Computer, yes. Given. Glad you picked up on that.